Hi, I'm Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today's guest is Neil Cohen, one of the co-founders of Tip Top Proper Cocktails, which you may have seen on Delta Airlines. Hi, Neil. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who might not know who you are? Sure. Um, I'm Neil Cohen. I'm a co-founder of Tip Top Proper Cocktails, and um, I'm also the chief brand officer here, a very uh, fancy name for someone who likes to, you know, do the fun stuff when it comes to building a brand. So that's uh, kind of the the seat that I occupy uh, at Tip Top, along with kind of being an owner and founder and all the things that come with that. Um, but an Atlanta native and uh a big um, kind of food obsessed person as well. Um, this is a big part of the history and uh, music and culture and all of those things kind of blend together to, to who I am and what I'm bringing to what we're, we're creating here. Can you tell people what tip top proper cocktails is if they don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, make classic cocktails in these tiny cans. They're 100 ml cans. Um, they are high proof. Uh, non-carbonated cocktails. So really the classic varieties, we started with uh, our third line of cocktails uh, when we launched back in 2019 with Old Fashioned Manhattan and Negroni. Um, we added our shaken line about a year and a half later with our daiquiri, margarita, and bee's knees. And most recently we've added espresso martini and jungle bird to the lineup. So a total of eight cocktails um, in this small can format that uh, can be purchased at liquor stores and retailers and uh, up in the skies on Delta Airlines amongst many other venues. Yeah, listeners may notice those cans now that they're these short little ones. They're a lot better than the cocktails you get mixed on the plane. And and what I love about Tip Top is that you really account for the dilution when you're when you're drinking that, meaning if if you're not a food nerd people, um, it's when your ice literally starts to melt and it dilutes your drink which is something a lot of these canned cocktail purveyors are accounting for um, since it really does over affect the overall end product. But aside from cocktails, let's talk about you. Um, so you're an Atlanta native. Um, take us back. Like, when did you know that food and drink were going to be a thing for you? Oh, that's a great question. I think uh, when my grandmother made it pretty clear that food and drink was of, of great importance. Um, yeah, every... Uh, I, I grew up in a uh, Southern Jewish household. Um, Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shalom, y'all. So as shalom. people are proud to say. Yeah, shalom, <laughs> y'all. Um, no, uh, we, um, so, so on one side, I had uh, my mother who grew up on a kibbutz in Israel. And so, very much like the agricultural background, number one importance when it comes to food is integrity of the ingredients and of the vegetables. And, you know, every time we're out at a restaurant, she's like, I know this place is good because they, because they know how to treat their vegetables, you know? Um, and so very much kind of the Mediterranean diet at home. Um, and then uh, with the Southern Jewry piece, um, my family arrived in Atlanta in uh, the early 20th century. And um, as Jews have done wherever they go, they kind of adopt the local um, culinary traditions, but kind of kosherify it. So, you know, Brunswick stew with subbing out pork and putting ground turkey and, and um, 
you know, pulled chicken in, in the Brunswick stew recipe. Um, but also, you know, the doubled eggs and the, um, we always had ribeye on Friday nights and the kosher butcher, Steve, uh, shout out to Steve here in Atlanta, always knew to save my grandmother, the best roast, uh, for, for Shabbat dinner. So yeah, that, I mean, that was always a thing. I mean, a real staple menu for our Shabbat dinners and, you know, barbecue brisket, whereas like, you know, the regular Jewish brisket would be kind of the, the sweeter variety. when you come to Southern Jewish brisket, it, it, became barbecue brisket. So, um, all of that fun stuff, but so that was it in childhood, but, um, in college, I went to university of Michigan and, um, I studied uh, American culture there. I was really, um, focused on sort of doing more of a musicology type degree. Um, but I was staying there for spring semester and I only had one credit or three credits, one class. And my dad said, you've got to get a job. Um, and, uh, Ari Weinswag, the founder of Zingerman's, um, was at one of my American culture classes. Zingerman's, uh, for those who don't know is a world-class delicatessen or it started off that way. (laughs) Yes. It is the foodie Mecca of the Midwest, if not beyond. I mean, they Mm kind of do a Dean and DeLuca style catalog as well that you can mail order and get your you know, Reuben kits, but also the finest olive oils that they source from Italy. I mean, just a wide range of things. So he came to speak to my American culture class about American values as it pertains to food. And I was front row, hand raised, asking all the questions, super eager. And at the end of the class, I said, Ari, you know, I don't have any experience in food, but if you have a, a role, I'm looking for a job during spring term. He said, okay, I've got an idea. Um, and he introduced me to the managers of the retail perishables, perishable retails counter at Zingerman's. Um, and I got a part-time job as a cheesemonger. Um, and this, you know, uh, I, I hadn't really partaken of very much, uh, pork products in my lifetime, but I was now behind a world-class deli counter where so you grew up I kosher. Was- or you just, I grew up like kosher style. So I I ate um, non-kosher meat out of the house, but not pork and shellfish, unless maybe a shrimp happened to fall into the sizzling rice soup at Mandarin house or something. But um, you know, there were exceptions made. Uh, I do remember like the Caesar burger at, uh, at the brickery in Sandy Springs was like, that was the cheeseburger we some, for whatever reason we made an exception for, but uh, so, so I got behind the counter at Zingerman's and you've got all these world-class salamis and prosciutto and hamon and, you know, things that I was really put to task to sell. I said, okay, well, I'm behind the counter here actively selling. I, I need to educate myself in uh, these great delicacies. So cheeses, charcuterie, uh, all the olives, the great smoked fish and, and great breads of the world. And that really gave me kind of uh, really the thing that that did most for me was to understand that food is not just food. You know, food is sociology. It's, you know, politics. It's, you know, the, you know, Ari was from, from Zingerman's was prone to talking at that time about their cream cheese where he had made these great bagels, but he couldn't find good fr- cream cheese. It was just the Philly stuff wrapped in aluminum foil. And he was then, Hey, that's, because in World War II, that was what became the rations. And, you know, just going back into history, understand the stories, uh, the sociopolitical factors that impact food traditions. Um, that was that was pretty illuminating with that experience um, and just finding the stories and the threads behind food traditions. And so when did you know that food was not just going to be like a hobby? 
you know, I, I, I don't really recall how we came to communicate on social media. It was definitely before you launched the cocktail brand because you told me about Shay Lobby, who if is this amazing, you know, Middle Eastern chef here in Atlanta who uses lots of vegetables. You know, <laughs> like it's very vegetable centric. Yes. Um, I oh, remember yes. you posted something. And it was just him grilling on those like things that look like swords, those skewers that look like swords. Um, what were you doing at that time? Like, how did you get into this space in yeah, between well, Zingerman's and Tip Top? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's quite a bit of time there. So the 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 gap there. Uh, graduated from University of Michigan in 2006 and moved back to Atlanta. Um, and we started Tip Top in 2018. So not to fanboy too much, but I got back to Atlanta in 2006 and. You were my guide to opening up uh, uh, a lot of what Atlanta had to offer and exploring the the wonderful treasures on Buford Highway via Blissful Button and, and all your writing. And so um, really, I mean, that is actually a piece of that of that timeline for me and kind of hunting that down. And I, I think I started my own little like food food blog at one point that was going to be food and music because that's my other main passion. I was calling it Edible Audible. And, um, so <laughs> I, I was doing that a little bit. Um, and I was on the radio, I was on AM 1690, the voice of the arts for, um, anyone in Atlanta who remembers the top of the AM dial, we were doing, uh, an eclectic mix of music, but we were also doing interviews with the art scene. And I got a chance to interview Richard blaze when he was on top chef and, you know, do a lot of things that kind of wove into, um, that space. But, I was also a rabid music fan, as I said, and I was pursuing uh, a job in the music industry. So I went and worked for Superfly, um, the producers of Bonnaroo and Outside Lands Music Festival. Um, and uh, when I went to work for them, part of uh, what I was doing was, was creating content, really, um, and marketing materials. And they were getting ready to launch a food festival that will go down in infamy uh, in Brooklyn called Guga Mooga the great Guga Mooga. Um, and it was, I mean, honestly, it was way ahead of its time. You look at, you know, on Netflix now and you've got Julie Reiner, you know, doing the drink masters and you've got Christina Tosi hosting, um, you know, uh, what is it? Um, the, the baking show. Uh, anyway, you know, and those were the, the people featured at this festival. So I spent seven years in the festival business um, on the marketing and branding side. Um, and my childhood friend, like best friend, Yoni Reisman from Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, he had, we walked parallel paths. He actually went and founded a music festival in New York that became the premier music festival called governor's ball. And so, um, he was really looking at the concessions programs at governor's ball and saying, these people are used to going to restaurants that have great cocktail programs, going to the best cocktails, you know, bars in, you know, in the country and some in the world. Um, and they come out to this music, music festival, all they're offered is like domestic beer and maybe a vodka lemonade at best. Um, and so he really wanted your hot to dog on top of yeah, it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And you know, you know, food trucks were coming in and they, they were, a lot of that offering was being elevated, but in the cocktail space, you know, they started trying out, um, batching in kegs and that worked okay for a couple of day events. But there was a lot of cost associated with like the per ounce, you know, loss that you have on those kegs of, of spirits. Um, and so in talking to the concessionaires there, Yoni really identified a big, a big gap 
um, in the offering and started talking to me about how he wanted to do canned cocktails. So this was 2016, um, 2017, as he was exiting um, when Live Nation bought Governor's Ball. And um, by 2018, uh, I had a second child, I was living in, in Brooklyn. And about six months after um, she was born, we, we determined that New York City living was not necessarily for us any longer. And Yoni was really on a hot path with um, the, the foundations of Tip Top. And what he was, he was talking about canned cocktails, and it, it seemed a little foreign to me um, from my past experience. But when he told me that he had, via our childhood friend, David Stein, who started Creature Comforts Brewery, um, David had worked with uh, the whole Kimball House crew at Brickstore Pub. And so when Yoni started talking about doing canned cocktails, he was introduced to Miles McQuarrie at Kimball House. And as soon as Yoni told me that Miles had signed on to be the recipe developer for this canned cocktail brand, I said, okay, now I start to see where these narratives of uh, the Zingerman side of my brain and the branding and marketing side of my brain that I'd been developing um, in the music festival space uh, could kind of merge to, to bring out a, a meaningful product that, that could um, sort of pioneer uh, the canned cocktail space. So in 2018, we started working on all of our formulations. We started working on the branding. We started working on compliance. How do you take a product from idea to, you know, actualization? Um, and over a year and a half process, we worked that through and launched the brand uh, September 2019. You're listening to my interview with Neil Cohen, one of the co-founders of Tip Top Proper Cocktails. What was this? What was the market for canned cocktails like at that time? I remember there were very few, um, like even like, you know, even the crappy ones that are out there now, like high noon and stuff that like, I, I think at the time, Finland, the long drink was the only one I had mm -hmm. seen, which had been around for a while. Um, but now it seems like they're everywhere. I was in Europe over the summer and now they're canned cocktails in Italy. I, I would have never thought that they would be selling them, but it's, it's, it's convenient. Um, what was the market like then? And what is it like now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Italy because every other sort of westernized country, um, Europe, Australia, um, they're like 15 years ahead of us with canned cocktails. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, really, the beer industry, as I understand it, um, kind of worked on the regulatory side to ensure that spirits in cans were sort of suppressed in this country. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's some of the the, the dark, you know, in the shadows workings of this industry, which uh, of which there's plenty of, which, uh, you know, um, but uh, at that time in 2019, when we launched, there wasn't much. I mean, there has been a tidal wave of entries into the market. Um, and what we were really intent on doing was that the reputation for canned cocktails, and it's still somewhat this way, is that, um, you know, there was a real stigma uh, attached to canned cocktails that they were going to be overly sweet, cheap ingredients, and just generally gross and not for the type of consumer or the type of drinker that is discerning truly that is going out to cocktail bars that is exploring different flavor profiles, or even just has a baseline understanding of what makes for a great cocktail. And so when we 
went to build the brand for Tip Top. And even with our cocktail choices, Old Fashioned Manhattan Negroni, you know, that those that's the trifecta of classic bitter cocktails. You walk into Souther Teague's uh, bar in the East Village, uh, Amoria Margo, the bitters tasting room, and there's on the wall, Old Fashioned Manhattan Negroni. That's, you know, the, those are the ones that are really, uh, all of his cocktails there are based off of the, for that format. Um, and so we wanted to start there to send that signal to the more serious cocktail drinker that this is a brand that, although we went on to have a margarita, you know, we weren't going to start with a margarita. We were going to start with these foundational cocktails that really speak to, um, to, to that level of, of craft. Um, so that was a piece of it. And we just wanted to make sure that when people looked across the shelf and they saw, you know, the offering for canned cocktails that they would kind of take pause, like look at it and say, Oh, you know, this brand kind of looks like it could be right out of um, a great cocktail recipe book from the 1930s or forties. And we actually took, um, I found a really cool database. I'm going to send you the link of like, 200 or 300 old cocktail books that have been digitized. Um, and I was just looking through them for inspiration for the brand. Um, and I found one from like 1929. Um, and I, I don't speak French, so I'm not going to attempt to say the name, um, but I'll, I'll send you the link in case you want to include it in notes or anything. Um, but uh, really looking at that as, as an inspiration for a lot of the design that we did with the brand work with, um, with Bart Sasso, who, uh, works on a lot amazing of branding. branding. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. He's, he does amazing branding. He also, he's just Ticonderoga, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, he's done a ton of work and, um, you know, he's, you know, while, while he's not officially on the tip top team, he is a, he's been collaborating on this brand and he's, he's our designer, um, from the get go. Yeah. The design of the packaging is, is super pleasing to look at. It's definitely got that old fashioned kind of vibe, which for me has always, I don't know when I'm looking at varietals and I try or varieties of uh, cocktails and I see them all up there. I don't know. There's something about that. You're right with that classic cocktail with that classic packaging. It feels more trustworthy. Um, yeah. Which, well, I'm glad it worked. That's what we were aiming for. So it seems... I've been, I've been, <laughs> I, you know, it works. I've been tricked, but um, how did you get them onto Delta? Like how do you convince Delta airlines? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're from Atlanta, but that can't be it. You know, how do you convince them to stop mixing drinks and start <laughs> using your cans? Yeah. Like I said, the impetus for doing this was music festivals. Well, there's a barrier to entry for music festivals, which is sort of pay to play. I mean, if you, if you want a placement at a music festival, it doesn't matter how efficient your product is and how well it works for the space. You know, if you don't have the, dollars of the major spirits conglomerates, you're not, you're not getting that placement. So we started thinking about, okay, this solves a problem. This solves a problem in that space, but where else does this really fit? And, you know, the, the airline industry was, was very clear um, that, that we should get on. And as two guys from Atlanta with a, a love of great hospitality, there was no, no better target um, kind of white whale as, as, you know, Delta airlines. And, um, before we even had the product in the can, um, we were tracking down people who we could speak to at Delta. And as it turns out, Miles from Kibblehouse, our recipe developer, 
had hosted some kind of holiday party for the onboard hospitality team um, a couple of years before we were talking to them. And they, they had asked him if there was any way he could batch cocktails for, and he was like, yeah, sure. We, we can batch cocktails for flights. How many? And they were like, uh, like a million. He's like, uh, you know, that's not going to be me. So as soon as we were working on this with Miles, he's like, you know, if you guys ever want to talk to Delta, I think I have a contact there. So look, that's not how it happened. We started talking to people. There's some agencies that help Delta um, place products on, you know, they, they work with a lot of big brands um, on how to place products within their programs. But, um, and, and we did some tastings with them, but really what it came down to was um, we, we applied to an RFP December of 2019. Um, Delta was looking to revamp their spirits program, their wine program, their beer program. Well, they didn't assign that RFP uh, and then March came around and March, 2020, and they weren't going to assign that RFP because they're hemorrhaging dollars every day and, um, and had stopped their food and beverage program. Um, summer of 20, so we don't hear anything back. Summer of 2020 comes along and actually Yoni, um, my partner, uh, got a LinkedIn message from someone in supply chain at Delta saying, Hey, I just had your drinks on the beach in 30A. And, um, and I think this would be a great solution for tip top. And we're like, Hmm, you don't say. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so that we was like, that was, for that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you know, they, we, at the time it was just old fashioned Manhattan and Negroni that we had. And they said, you know, we'd really like to have a margarita. So well, you're in luck. We're actually right now developing our shaken line. Um, and some of the first people to taste our daiquiri bees knees and our margarita, um, even before some of our employees at Tip Top tasted it, um, were uh, the four Delta employees that are in charge of making some of the decisions about products on board. So we went and uh, it was August 2020 um, where we tasted all of those. And by January, it was clear we were off to the races. We started um, scaling up production and April 2021 is um, when Delta onboarded the Old Fashioned and Margarita. Can you disclose how many cans they buy a year? Um, it's in the millions. <laughs> um, so it was in the millions like they asked Miles? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they weren't oh, joking? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was, um, and really, you know, it, for the first year or so that we were on Delta, it, it took up a lot of the concentration of, of uh, our business. Um, but uh, as we've grown um, our business in the general market and – begun to really understand what the demand of Delta is, um, that's really begun to stabilize. And it's it's been great for us to be able to maintain that business and the incredible marketing platform that that affords us um, while now really going into, into overdrive with with growth and, and growing our distribution across the country. So, yeah. So like what, what else is going on for you guys? What's on the horizon? I mean, like you said, that's a big white whale. <laughs> You know, you're everywhere here. Um, what's next? Yeah. Um, look, we've had three plus years to make a lot of mistakes um, and and learn. Um, not just learn how to remedy those mistakes, but also learn what we're good at as Tip Top and what this brand really sort of the direction we want to take it in. Um, 
but we feel really good about the proposition and about where our cocktails are at. And we're always fine tuning. I mean, we just made a change to our espresso martini and our margarita last week in, in our formulation because we always want to get it better. So the one that one you just, is, the, the, the cans that you just shipped out, you changed it again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, just, just fine tuning. And that's, you know, sitting with Miles and saying, hey, you know, we think, you know, we could probably do this better to balance it out or that better. And, and helping us really uh, achieve that with the formulations. Um, but the big thing for us in, in the coming year is uh, expanding distribution. Right now, we're distributed in seven states, Georgia, Florida, New York, New Jersey, Texas, Illinois, and Colorado. Um, and by July of 23, we're sort of primed to be in probably close to 20. Um, so we're really, uh, really increasing our distribution because we've also seen, because there is the ability for people to purchase this online, we've seen the demands from California and from some other states. And we just need to get it in stores and get it in front of people and, and grow that way. But at the same time, you know, um, we launched this espresso martini with Counterculture Coffee this past November. We're using their Big Trouble Beans in that espresso martini. And that's a, a bit um, a further afield from what we've done. It's not a beloved cocktail by cocktail connoisseurs, but it is super on trend. And so looking at that, we're like, okay, we're not just going to make an espresso martini because it's on trend, but if we can find a great cocktail, I mean, a great coffee company to collaborate with and make the ideal espresso martini from kind of our brand perspective, then let's do it. And counterculture was game to do it. They'd never done a ready to drink anything, not even a cold brew. Um, but they saw this opportunity and, and we've been able to partner on that. And so that's, that's great. On one hand, it definitely opens up our brand to a wider audience than maybe old fashions and Negronis would, mm -hmm. um, cause espresso martini is like every, you know, is every brunch table is like loaded up with them. And it's and my Instagram a... feed is still filled with them, but, um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't care if you like it, then... drink it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly right. And, and, yeah. you know, we, we, the whole idea with tip top is to make cocktails that, you know, have some amount of exclusivity to them, uh, more inclusive and to make them more approachable and to, but to do it in a way that really, um, is, is informative as to what the, the baseline flavor profiles of classic cocktails can and should be um, from our perspective as a brand. So something like that, espresso martini, we certainly want to do things that tap into zeitgeisty trend type stuff, mm -hmm. but do it our own way. Um, but on the other hand, we just last week, or we just uh, put out the Jungle Bird. And the Jungle Bird is one of these beloved cocktails for cocktail connoisseurs, for bartenders. Like it, a tiki culture drink? Yeah, so it, it, Miles uh, corrected me. He said it's post-tiki. Post-tiki. Um, so, you know, tiki is really a um, an American creation. It's like... Uh, a movement, the, the cocktail yeah, movement. Totally. But the history is like the, the Hilton hotels had all the Trader Vicks in the basements, and they, you know, they tapped into the this idea of what Polynesian culture meets American fantasy um, around that and um, escapism and all of those things could be. And it certainly created a movement out of that. But uh, the Jungle Bird was actually created in Malaysia, in uh, I think it's the Hilton Hotel in Kuala Lumpur. Um, we used this drink as the welcome drink when guests arrived. 
um, which I, I just love that idea around hospitality with this drink. And it's rum, pineapple, um, lime, and then a little touch of Campari. Um, and in our case, we have our own uh, red bitters formulation that we've created because we can't use Campari. Um, and so what that does is it takes, you know, tiki drinks that skew sort of sweet and to my taste often overly sweet um and it balances out with some bitter um and it, it allows for like a drier finish on those cocktails and so while that's not a widely known cocktail the flavor profile is is one that we believe it can be widely enjoyed it's fun um, and it's and it's also like an ode to the cocktail culture in which like we originate and like so balancing an espresso martini with a jungle bird is kind of the the objective in our brand growth. And it's what we'll continue to do as we think of future innovation. I mean, I love the packaging. I, I love like the, the postcard. I mean, it felt very, you know, like far away in a great way and tropical. Um, but, but I can see how it would appeal to people that may not be like, I guess you're a Negroni drinker. Um, right. right? It, it would be like the, the antithesis of that. But um, yeah, it's like Negroni training also, wheels. Yes, exactly. But it's also... It's also a really fun deep dive into history and uh, cocktail history, cocktail culture, which you would expect from Miles of any person. I mean, you know, he's if he's if anyone's going to find that drink, it's going to be Miles McCurry. Um, is there anything else that you want to promote um, where people can buy your products if they don't know how to buy liquor online? Because a lot of people still don't because um, we <laughs> lived in, a, in Georgia for a long time. Um, yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, um, if you're if you're in Georgia, if you're in Atlanta, you can find us by the register at any of your liquor stores. For the most part, we've gotten pretty great distribution here in our home state, which is which is amazing to see. Um, so just look for the giraffe on the can that says tip top, um, the 100 ml can. When you go to the register, um, you'll see it in a dispenser there. Um, but then online, um, it actually a, a huge thing that we've been able to open up via the e-commerce is gifting abilities. And so people are sending gifts to friends and family and, you know, corporate clients and all of that type of thing around the country um, of cocktails. And so instead of maybe sending that, you know, wine bottle or that bourbon bottle that people have done um, for a long time that way, um, you can go to tiptopcocktails.com and you can send those gifts um, to others or, gift to yourself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's some fun ways to do that. And, and that's also something that we've done with jungle bird is it is really an e-com only offering because it is sort of, um, experimental for us as a brand. It's, mm -hmm. you know, we, we didn't do jungle bird because we're going to, you know, this is going to be a huge volume mover for us. We did it because, you know, as a brand, we think it's cool and it's fun to do things like that. So, um, the, 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 the website's also where you may be able to find out about some of those kind of smaller, more boutique -y things that we're doing, um, that may not hit the shelves on the stores immediately. Now, when those things start to actually, uh, you know, really, um, increase and, you know, when we see the appeal of some of those experimental batches, we may then decide we want to go ahead and commercialize it and put it out for, for full distribution. Cool. And um, one of the things I always ask people is um, like, what is, you know, your go-to comfort dish, but since we're talking about alcohol, I'm going to ask what your go-to drink is. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're going to unwind, you put the kids to sleep, you finally have a moment. What are you drinking? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's a tip top, it's usually a Negroni or a Daiquiri, and right now a Jungle Bird because I'm just adore that drink right now. Um, if it's really uh, any cocktail, I think a gin martini. You know, um, especially like when your taste buds may be a, a little overworked. You know, you have a, a little taste bud fatigue. Going back to a, a gin martini that's just dry and crisp like a cloud. Um, that's, you know, that's a go-to for sure. And a great way to kick off an evening. Yeah. Lucian has a really good one. If you haven't had it there. I still haven't been. I need to go. Yeah. I know. Go, go, get the French fries, get a gin martini and enjoy it. Oh, you know what they call that these days? I think you do. You probably know. No, that's the, 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 I guess it's called a New York happy meal is a, uh, <laughs> a, gin, a gin martini and a side of fries. I like it. I like it. That's a pretty good meal to me. Well, thank you again for being here, Neil. I love, I love what you're doing and um, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> thank you. Likewise. Um, I've been a, been a long time fan and I, 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 t- I plan to continue. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Neil for joining us. If you'd like to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or the food that binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm joined by Beth McKibben, who's the editor of Eater Atlanta. Again, we'll be back next Sunday with Beth McKibben, the editor of Eater Atlanta. This has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of the food that binds. Thanks for listening. <laughs>